Won't you take your Bibles with me? Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. And the subject this morning is finding Jesus in the storm. Finding Jesus in the storm. And I'm going to read Matthew chapter 14. And I will begin the reading in verse number 22. Follow with me, if you will, in your Bible. Matthew 14 and 22. And straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him into the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway or immediately, Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if thou will, bid me come unto thee on the water. And Jesus said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. And then they that were in the ship came, and they worshiped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Somebody has observed that Matthew chapter 14 records one of the busiest days in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. The chapter begins back in the early verses here, the first verse and so on. The news came of the death of John the Baptist. Well, John the Baptist was, in fact, a distant relative, humanly speaking, of the Lord Jesus. And John had baptized Jesus and had been his forerunner and was close to the Lord, and he loved him. And so now he hears the news that uh, John has been beheaded. And so Jesus went alone, it says, to grieve in verse number 13. But he couldn't get alone. He was in such demand that the crowds followed him wherever he went. And instead of allowing him to grieve for the loss of his loved one, well, then they pressed upon him. In fact, they began to ask him to heal them. And in verse number 15, we see that Jesus healed a, a large number of people that day. And then the evening came on, and a great crowd had gathered, 5,000 men plus the women and plus the children. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, the disciples came and said, well, we've, these people are hungry. You need to send them home. And Jesus said, I'm not going to send them home hungry. He found the little boy with the five loaves and the two fishes, and the multitude, uh, the feeding of the multitude occurred at that point. So on that day, Jesus had grieved over his friend. He had healed a bunch of sick people. He had ministered to people all day long. Now he performs this wonderful miracle we still talk about today 
feeding 5,000 men plus women and children, probably 10,000 people or more that day. And then in verse number 22, I guess just dropping down from exhaustion, both him and the disciples, because they've been with him all day, he said to them, get in the boat and go across the lake, go to the other side, and I'm going to send the multitudes away. So he dismissed the multitudes, and the disciples get in the boat to go across the lake. Now, the Bible calls it a ship, and that's accurate, but it's not your idea of a cruise ship, I'll tell you that. It's really a fishing boat. It would accommodate uh, quite a number of people. Twelve men obviously uh, felt secure in it, and uh, the, the room for their equipment and the catch and so on. But it was not a big big boat like you think of. It would probably be more like one of our fishing boats, a large fishing boat that we might see over at the coast or down at Santee Cooper or something like that. And it was, it was quite a large boat, but not a ship like you think of uh, in, in modern terms. So they got into the ship, and they began to go across the lake, and the disciples find themselves in the midst of a violent storm. I've read quite a lot through the years about the lake of the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Galilee. And it's not big by uh, the standards of seas. In fact, it would be maybe a little larger than uh, Santee Cooper, Lake Moultrie, and Lake Marion right here in our back door. But even down there, we know we can have some violent storms, but nothing like they had because the lake or the Sea of Galilee uh, is between two mountains. I've actually been there and seen it. And those mountains are, are high mountains. In the valley is the, is the sea. And then the land begins to drop, and it drops for 4,000 feet down to the Dead Sea. It's just like a tunnel. And the winds can come up there, and they can be, uh, th- th- that, that little body of water can become more violent than any other body of water because it's just a funnel of air blowing down that thing, and it just uh, drives that water into literally a frenzy. And it was legendary. It was storied about how violent the lake uh, could become. And so here they are. The disciples find themselves in the midst of one of those very violent storms. And we picture that boat, and it's dark as it can be because of the clouds and the nighttime. The fog is coming up, the foam, the waves are crashing, and uh, the winds are howling. You can hardly, you have to holler at each other across the boat just to be heard. We can picture these men there, the lightning flashing around them, wondering, am I ever going to get home? It was a frightening time. In fact, it says here that they cried out for fear. It was a time of real fear. And of course, here's the one interesting thing to me is that Jesus knew the storm was coming when he sent them because he knows all things. And so he sent them into the storm, and it was a violent, frightening time of panic and, and just real fear. And so Jesus sent them. By the way, he never told them clearly and explicitly why he sent them, but this is where we are today, isn't it? We're in a storm. Our president has called it a war, and there's a sense in which it is. But it could also be called a storm. An event, what we're experiencing right now, I believe will define our lives. I can think of no event in my life that has been comparable to this. I was a 
a little tiny baby in World War II. I was born there. I remember other things that have been national uh, crises, and especially I think of 9-11 just 20 years ago or so. But I've never experienced anything like this. And I think, I think if time endures and the Lord doesn't return, 40 years from now, our grandchildren will say, oh, yeah, I remember back in 20 what was going on. This will be a time that will define our lives. It is a violent storm. As of 7 a.m. this morning, 122,000 people have uh, been declared with this virus in our country. Over 2,000, in fact, this morning it was 2,042 have died as of about 7 a.m. And we see the pictures of people in the, in the protective gear. We see them with the hazmat suits on. We see the hospitals overwhelmed, the, in, the ICUs and the emergency rooms, the ships now being sent to both coasts. Even right here in Florence, we're beginning to feel that three people have died, three of our citizens. And I think they said about 12 people have tested positive. And governors are now scurrying, trying to determine what to do. And we're in a storm. That's the only way you can say it. And just like these disciples, we're in the middle of something we've never experienced. Well, there's lessons here for us. First of all, the Lord allowed them to go into that storm to teach them to trust Him in the storms of life. The Lord allows us to go through storms to teach us that He will not fail us in the storms of life. You know, it's so easy to trust the Lord when the, when the sea is calm. I, there's a little plaque I used to have, and it said, anybody can be captain when the sea's calm. But when the storms come, then... Uh, it's a different story, and we're not in the calm that we've enjoyed. Actually, you know, I look at my life, and I look at America. America has had a pretty soft existence. Somebody likened American culture for the last 20 or 30 years to going to Disney World, that America is the Disneyland, the Disney World of the universe. And we got pretty soft. We were so prosperous. We had money. We could do about anything we wanted to do. And we became very affluent. But affluency doesn't make people tough. And affluency doesn't build people's faith. In fact, generally speaking, there are exceptions. Generally speaking, affluency and prosperity can make people selfish. You would think we would just get satisfied, but we never do. And so it's more, more of everything, more of the houses, more of the cars, more of the this, more of the that, more travel, more vacations. And America has grown increasingly a nation that was soft. We haven't had very many storms. We've had a few. Some of us have had some personal storms. But nothing that was a calamity, a catastrophe for the entire culture and the entire society. Well, it's easy to trust when things are like that. It's easy to say, I'm a Christian. But now the Lord has allowed us to be in the midst of a storm.
I've asked myself a thousand times, I guess, in these three weeks, well, why? And I don't know. I think, first of all, it might be some preparation for future storms. I can't tell you all the reasons, but I know that one thing that the Lord was teaching them is that He would be with them even when they didn't see Him. You see, for most of that night, they didn't see Jesus, but He was nearby. But they weren't even used to looking for Him in a storm. All they saw was wind and waves and lightning and fog. They didn't even think about Him. It doesn't appear nobody's talking about Him. Now, they had known Him in a lot of other capacities. They had known Him as the miracle worker. They just watched Him feed 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch. They had known Him as the friend of sinners. One of them, Matthew the publican, an untouchable, a social outcast. But Jesus had befriended him and saved him. In fact, he's the man that wrote this book that we're reading from right now. And they watched the, the beggars come to him. They watched the homeless, the poor, the people that were dirty and filthy, socially undesirable. And he was the friend of those people. He was the friend of sinners and the friend of the little people, the down and outers. They watched him be the supplier of their needs. One day they need to pay their taxes. And he sent Peter and said, go catch a fish and the payment for our taxes will be in the mouth of that fish. In other words, they watched him supply their own personal needs. They knew him as the son of God. They believed that already. They'd seen his power over the devil, casting out the demons. They had heard his messages, the Sermon on the Mount. My, what a great teacher, what a great preacher. In fact, people were saying, no man ever spake like this man. They had known him as the teacher, the preacher. They had known him as a healer. They had watched him heal people. They had heard him pray so many times and seen the power of his prayers, and they had gone to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray like you pray. They had known him in all those ways, but they had never known him in a storm. They hadn't been with him in a storm before, and so they didn't know how he would react or how he would respond or what he would do. In other words, this was a brand-new experience for the 12 apostles, and it's a brand-new experience for us. Because I can tell you, America is not Disney World anymore. America is not being on the cruise ship of life. America right now is in a storm, and we're in that storm. We're in that boat, and uh, it's a new experience. After 50 years of pastoring and preaching, I thought I'd seen everything. I had no idea that within just one week, Everything in the whole national landscape could change so much. And we still don't know where it's going. It was two weeks ago last night. I was sitting at home studying. I was looking forward to a church service, and this building would be full of people, and the Sunday school would be functioning, and, and all the people would be fellowshipping and, and uh, hugging each other and shaking hands and, and a spirit of joy, and the choir would be full here, and uh, the orchestra would be playing. Jim would be leading, and this place would be full of sound. And within a few hours, I found out we had to cancel the service for the safety of our people. 
And I stood here literally almost feeling a sense of shock, preaching as I am right now in this empty auditorium. Now, I'm not quite used to it, and I don't want to get used to it, but, but that's the reality. Everything changed, and all of my experience that I'd had, I thought I'd seen it all. Oh, I haven't seen it all. I haven't seen it all yet, I'm finding out. So what are the lessons of the storm? To teach them to trust him, that he will never fail. He will always show up. Number two, to teach them that even if you can't see him, he is there. He may be out of sight for a little while. To teach them, though, that he'll be with you. Number three, the lessons of the storm are he could, have st- he could have calmed the storm, and he ultimately did, but he didn't immediately, did he? Because the storm was a test. The storm was a necessary experience in their training. They were getting ready to be entrusted with the entire Christian mission. At this point in time, they were among the few people. Maybe there was a few more, maybe 70 more somewhere. There weren't very many Christians on the whole planet. And he was entrusting his life's mission to their hands very, very shortly, in just a year or two. They had to be tested. He had to find out if their faith was real. And I'll tell you, the storm will test what you and I really believe. There is I guess some good in this, and that I think it makes us become introspective, is what I have been saying I believe adequate to face this storm. The storm brings that out. The storm tests us. The storm reveals what was there all along. The storm shows that what's down in the well will come up in the bucket when the pressure gets on, won't it? George Mueller, the great British Christian, he had a famous saying. It was this, problems are the food of faith. Problems are the food of faith. When our faith is real, it feeds upon the storms. It feeds upon the challenges problems are the food of faith. Well, we have a lot to eat today, don't we, (laughs) across our country. Jesus could have calmed the storm, but he didn't. He wanted to test them for a little while. Now, you and I have known Jesus. As I said, the, the disciples had known him as a miracle worker. They had known him as a friend of sinners. They knew him as a supplier of their needs. They knew him as the Son of God. You and I watching today, most of our membership, you know the Lord Jesus Christ. You know Him as your Savior. Not as many, but many of us know Him as Lord. He is truly the Master in our life. And then others know Him as the head of our church. We know Jesus in various offices and capacities that He has. But listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. I want you to know the Jesus of the storm, the Christ of the storm, the one who when your world is being shaken and falling apart, that he is going to come and he's going to speak peace to your heart. The lessons of the storm. Let me give you another one in verse number 25. 
In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. He came to them. And notice when he came. It's the fourth watch. The fourth watch of the night. The fourth watch is the time on the Roman calendar between 3 and 6 a.m. Well, from 3 to about 5 or more, depending on the time of year, it's the darkest time of the day, isn't it? It's the darkest just before the dawn. And keep in mind that these guys were weary. They've been with him all day. They were there when the news came that John the Baptist died, when they watched their Savior grieve. They watched him healing those people, even though he had a broken heart ministering to them. They watched him break those loaves and fishes and feed the multitudes. They watched him throughout that long, weary day. And they were drained and weary as well as he. And now it's 3 o'clock in the morning, and the panic is setting in. And the fear and the despair and the anxiety are gripping their hearts. And then Jesus shows up. It's probably interesting to speculate about what uh, they were thinking. I imagine one of those disciples was probably thinking like this because this is the way we think. He was probably saying, well, what did we do wrong? (laughs) why do you let us get into this? And another one probably was saying, well, the devil's out to kill us. And uh, he blamed it on the devil. And then somebody else probably said, well, why us? We're out here serving the Lord. We're ministering. We're trying to do his will. And somebody else, self-pity sets in. And woe is me. I don't think we'll get out of this alive. And then in verse 26, Jesus came, and he spoke to them. Now, when they first saw him, they're not happy about this. It says they were troubled in verse 26, and they said, it's a spirit. It's a ghost. (laughs) Here's Jesus emerging out of the fog, and there's, look out, there's a ghost. Their imaginations were running wild with them. (laughs) So they weren't even looking for the Savior in verse 27, though he speaks. What does he say? Now, what Jesus says is the Word of God. Keep that in mind. It's simple, but I don't want you to, I don't want you to run past that. Je- here we now hear the Word of God. What is it? Be of good cheer. It is I, and be not afraid. Be of good cheer. I want you to get hold of your emotions. It is I. I am Jesus and you don't have to be afraid. I'm going to be in the boat with you throughout the rest of the storm. Now, you have the story here of Peter saying, Lord, I want to come to you, and we are all familiar with that story. I'm not going to deal with that story at all today. I want to point you to something I've been preaching about, though, since January 1 of this year. I've preached on faith. I preached on it last uh, Wednesday night again. Faith is hearing the Word of God. Okay, Jesus spoke. They heard the Word of God. Faith is believing the Word of God. And now they have the opportunity to believe that the Savior is going to keep His promise. He is with them, and there's nothing to fear. Faith is acting on it. Well, Peter really acted on it, didn't he? But I think he acted a little prematurely because the Lord rebukes him for his little faith before this is over. 
But uh, faith is hearing the Word, believing the Word, acting on the Word, and then leaving it up to Him, trusting in Him. And that's what we've got to do right now. Now, take the Word of Jesus. Be of good cheer. You know, my wife and I now, we've, we've stayed pretty much at home. We've gone out for a few things, and I've come to the church and spend a few hours, and I've tried to do the necessary and essential things, and above all, to be prepared for these services because it's, it's, it's my goal to encourage you and strengthen you spiritually and lead you spiritually through this. But uh, we were standing at the kitchen sink after we had eaten our dinner, and uh, we just kind of, both of us felt like, boy, this gets old, doesn't it? This thing gets, is getting old. Well, we can't go down that road. Be of good cheer. It is I, and don't be afraid. Don't watch too much of Fox News. Don't, don't get those images stirring all day and all night in your head. It's okay to be informed, but don't let it drag you down. Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Now, let me review this for you right quick, Okay. Number one, we're in a storm. Everybody agrees, I think. I've heard a few people say, do you really think it's as bad as, it, as what they're saying? I think it is as bad as they're saying. I sure do. I will, um, I will be glad to be corrected if it's not. But yes, ladies and gentlemen, we're in a storm. We're in the battle for our lives and our health, but also for our country. I just we don't know where this is going to go at this point. We're in a storm. But I want to encourage you, the storm is under his control just as it was here. If you will notice down here in verse 32, when Jesus got in the boat with them, the wind ceased. So we're in a storm. The storm is under his control. Jesus is with us even if we don't see him with the physical eye. He will calm the storm, and He will come to you in the storm. I want you to be looking for Him. He's going to come to you in the storm. Now, I believe He will come in one of two ways. For those of you who are not saved, you're not Christians. You may have never professed Christ in your life, or you may have been a lifelong... You may be one of those people that now there's a new phrase I've been reading, unsaved Christians. What's an unsaved Christian? That's a, that's a paradox. That makes no sense. To be saved is to be a Christian. But an unsaved Christian is a person who has grown up around the Christian faith, been brought up in the church, knows the Bible stories, and yet really deep in their heart, they're not trusting in Jesus Christ in any kind of saving manner. They have rejected His gospel in the sense they may have a head knowledge of the gospel, but they've never acted. They're not obeying anything that the Lord said to them to do. They're living their life. They are indulging themselves in a sinful lifestyle. They're far away from God. By every measure, they've never truly been saved. I'm talking to people no doubt like that today. If you're like that, my friend, let me tell you, find Jesus in this storm. You've had no time for him when it was calm. 
But now you need him. You don't want to pass into a, a Christless eternity. You've had your prosperity, your affluence. You've been, you've been getting on doing the things you wanted to do. But now, let's face it, we're all facing eternity. You don't know when you could put your hand on that item and pick up that germ. I tell you, turn to the Christ who is available in the storm. Come to Him today. And then I'm talking to people who are Christians, the majority of you, no doubt. And we've been praying for revival. Could it be that God is, has sent a storm to bring America back to Himself? We've been so far away. Church attendance has been declining. It's just just like a rock falling, if you look at the graphs. And, and there's the, even people who sincerely, fervently serve the Lord for many years, and, 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 and now they just don't have time for Him. They've been enjoying this, uh, this Disney World experience. Well, let me tell you, God is calling you. The Jesus of the storm is there, and I want you to turn to Him. You know, if you'll go back to the first passage, first part of where I read in verse 23, when he sent the multitudes, he went up into a mountain to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. Now, he'd already sent them out. And so, during the first part of this evening, Jesus was alone on that mountain praying for these men who were in the storm. And Jesus is our great intercessor. I read to you a wonderful passage of Scripture in your Bibles. It's found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 7, verse number 25. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. And while those disciples were out there in that storm, the Lord Jesus Christ is talking to the Father. He's praying for them. They don't know how safe they are because our Lord's prayers are always answered. And He's been praying for you, and He's praying for me, the great intercessory high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, His primary office during this time in history. And so, if you're not saved, come to Christ. If you are saved, this is the time to reaffirm your faith like never before, to remember He's praying for you and to go to Him and confess your sins and if you've been away, to come back home. Look lastly, verse number 33 of Matthew 14, it says, and they worshiped Him. When He got in the boat, they worshiped Him. Oh, boy, if this isn't true worship. This is true worship, isn't it? And there in that boat, I see those men get on their knees. And the Son of God stands in the midst of Him, and they worship Him. And note what they say. Truly, truly. I mean, it's been reaffirmed to us so powerfully. Truly, you are the Son of God. There's an old song that whether you're saved or lost, I think you can sing it. Come every soul by sin oppressed, there's mercy with the Lord. And He will surely give you rest 
by trusting in His Word. Only trust Him. Only trust Him. Only trust Him now. He will save you. Yes, He will save you. He will save you now. Bow your head with me in your home there, and let me lead you in a prayer. And then we're going to close our service today with a wonderful song of comfort for all of you. So just stay tuned and listen to a great song here. And Heavenly Father, I thank you that you've allowed me to preach this message. I've tried to make people aware we're in a storm, but that storm is under your control. You are the sovereign God, that Jesus is with us right now, even when we can't see him. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Lord, I pray that there will be people who are lost who will come to him in this storm, and that Christians who need to come closer, that they will come to him in this storm. Lord, that you will send revival to our nation through this. I pray, Lord, that you will touch people who have not been touched, whose hearts have been hard, but that you will work powerfully in them. Thank you for praying for us. Thank you for being our refuge. We worship you today as those disciples did. And Lord, we love you today. Be our stay and our help, we pray. In Christ's name and for his sake, amen.